G'day nerds, dweebs, fuckheads, losers. This is Aiden Jones and you are listening to Sitting Under a Tree for Tuesday the 17th of August 2021. What a time to be alive. Hey, guess what? Uh, I mean, I'm recording this on the 16th. Guess what the 15th was? The 15th of August 2021 is my 10-year anniversary of doing stand-up comedy. How about that? How about it? So what I thought I'd do today um, is I uh, look because look also today as in Monday. Um, let me just have a little sip of tea here. Oh, everything's gonna be alright, I reckon. Um, what I thought I'd do today because t- today you know Melbourne announced another two weeks of lockdown going until the second of September my special recording has been cancelled for uh, depending on which way you look at it the second or third time um, but you know I've been doing stand-up for 10 years it's 10 years since the first time I ever got on stage and so I thought rather than dwell and wallow in the fucking the negativity, that is um, <laughs> my life and the current state of the fucking affairs. I would um, just tell a few stories about stand-up because that's a big moment, man. I've been doing stand-up for 10 years. I've been a stand-up for 10 years. Um, I reckon I always say, uh, I, I kind of, I guess I haven't had this conversation in a while, but there is like a, a bit of a, thing amongst comedians about like when is your when does it count like when do you actually start when do you count as having started is it like the first time you do a gig is it the first time you uh sometimes i think it's like the first time you bomb like you're not a comedian until you bomb um the first time that you're like oh god and you fucking feel that feeling in the pit of your stomach and then you get off and you want to do it again that's a pivotal moment. Um, I counted for a long time as when I moved to Melbourne because uh, so I started fifteenth of August two thousand eleven. I actually found my um, I found the screenshots of the message that I sent to one mic stand booking my first ever gig. How's this? So the story that I always tell on podcasts and stuff when people ask me how did I get into it was my mate Tim Morrison. Um, Oh, that's nice. Annie Louie just messaged me and said, so sorry about your taping, dude. Was looking forward to it heaps. When the next date drops, let me know. Annie Louie, you are a sweetheart. But I'm not talking about that now. I'm talking about the past because <laughs> the past is better than the future. Ooh, that's a depressing thing to think. Um, so I'd, I always tell people I started because uh, my mate Tim Morrison put uh, a thing on Facebook. It was something like... Inspiration comes in many forms and today it comes in the form of a late, great Bill Hicks. And he posted a link to American The Bill Hicks Story, which is a documentary about his life that his family and friends put together with like found footage and pictures and whatever. They kind of animated the images in this weird way. It all looks like a diorama. The whole thing just looks like... (laughs) They tried to animate them, I guess, and like bring them to life a bit. Kind of like those 3D images that you get like on Facebook or whatever, but this was 10 years ago. 
Not that those 3D images are good, by the way. They suck as well. But this one was like 10 years before. Um, and they were trying to, I guess they don't have that much footage of the dude other than his stand-up sets and a few bits of like family, whatever. Um, and so their way to bring it to life was with these like weird 3D photos and sparkly bits to be like, he loved mushrooms. Look. Bring. Um, but I watched that and uh, on on my mate's recommendation... And the bit that really stuck with me was he always knew he wanted to do stand-up and he loved comedy and loved comedians and uh, he started doing it when he was 14 in... Was it Austin? I think it was Austin or maybe it was Houston. I always forget. But one of those cities in Texas and he was going down to... The Laugh Stop was the club in in the 70s. Um, and he was going down there when he was 14. He was sneaking out of his parents' house climbing over the, over the roof to his mate who had uh, like a car, could get like a driver's license because he lived on a farm and they would drive down to the comedy club and this 14-year-old kid would do comedy. And I was 20 when I watched that in 2011 and I I don't know if this is a genuine memory that I have or if this is something that I rationalized later. But what I always say is when I saw that, I thought if a 14-year-old can do comedy... I'm 20, I can do comedy. Like that was the first time whenever I saw comedians on TV and shit, it was always like, oh, you know, I just, I can never do that. That's just like, that's what Dylan Moran, 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 that he was one of my guys. I loved him. I remember, um, I loved, uh, I used to watch all the galas of like the, um, the Montreal gala. I didn't know they were called galas. I thought there was just like the Montreal Comedy Festival, but it was like just for laughs Montreal. I remember one year Judith Lucy hosted it. I remember one year Adam Hills didn't host it, but hosted the like Australian broadcast of it. So it was like Judith Lucy went over and she tried poutine and did a few other things. And then it's like her doing a spot. And another year Adam Hills did that. I used to watch all of those. I remember um, Mitch Fatale was so funny. He had a bit about how he liked boobs. There was a comedian called Bob Marley. I can't imagine having that guy's fucking name, man. And being like, and staying with that name and having someone introduce you on the gala. They introduced him as not the one you're thinking of, Bob Marley. Um, the fucking balls of that guy to stick with that name. I remember all these guys. I remember... Um, <laughs> So I remember, I can't even remember her fucking name. Maria Bamford. I remember watching her do that bit about being sexually harassed at work and doing the character of her boss, like drooling over her, asking her to take notes in the meeting. I remember all these fucking comics. And I was like, you know, I don't, I never thought that I could do that. I was just like, that's a cool thing. But um, in high school, I, I wrote a couple jokes in a journal because I used to keep a journal every day. And when I was 16, I wrote some joke about like, uh, have you guys like seen, you know, the internet's crazy, isn't it? And look, that as a premise is pretty strong. The internet is crazy. Huh? I dare you to disagree with that. It's crazy. <laughs> um, and I remember writing the joke was like, the internet was crazy. The internet's crazy. The other day I, uh, what was it? I went to look up sex and I just got pictures of like some hoses and the idea of the joke was that I searched the word kinky and just got pictures of hoses, like kinks in hoses. <laughs> <laughs> just like a kinked hose. 
<laughs> Which now that you think of it, whoever uses the word kink to talk about a hose? What's the etymology of that? A kink. Like a a sexual kink. Is that like a, the same thing as like a bent hose? So if you've got a kink, you're like a bent hose. You're just like a bit broken. That's because that's true. If you have a sexual kink, you're not normal and you're broken and you need fixing, actually. Going to go ahead and let everyone know that I don't believe that. And if you have a kink, you're a beautiful flower and you deserve love and respect and fulfillment of all of your sexual desires and all other desires as well. Anyway, what the fuck am I talking about? Stop being facetious, Aiden. Get back to the story. So I, uh, yeah, I wrote a joke when I was 16. I, I, I wrote like a few jokes. I was just like, maybe I could write some jokes. But that was as far as it went. And uh, I remember I never did drama, but, you know, in school, like the drama kids have their shit that they work on. And then all the other kids in the year have to come to the theater and like watch them do their shit because no one else is going to come and watch them, are they? <laughs> That's just preparing them for uh, for a life in the arts where it's like, yeah, man, no one's going to come and watch you. You work really hard on this thing and then you have to coerce people to come <laughs> and watch it because no one gives a fuck, mate. Um, that's actually great training. That should be what... That's what they're really teaching kids in drama. They're not teaching you how to act. They're teaching you how to deal with the disappointment of no one caring about the thing that you love. <laughs> Playing to audiences of people who are just looking at their watches waiting to go to lunch. <laughs> um, I wasn't in drama, but uh, I didn't do drama because I thought that drama was gay. It's probably what I would have told you when I was 16. Oh, man, that's fucking... That's gay, dude. So... um I didn't do it, but uh, we went to watch and there was this girl in the drama class who I don't even remember her name. I don't know. It's just like one, some person who I never really spoke to in school, which is a shame because I reckon we probably would have had a lot to talk about because her, they did like solo, they did like monologues and they all had to learn monologues and she chose Dave Hughes's gala set from that year. And I can't remember the jokes. It might've been the year that he did the joke about KFC. Um... What was the joke? Uh, you know, when you order KFC, it's like watching porn, isn't it? You get it and you're all excited. Um, but then afterwards, you know, you feel guilty. Oh, I hope mum doesn't find out. You know, and your hands are sticky. I remember that tag. And your hands are sticky. Your hands are sticky. I'm angry. I'm pissed off. I'm not, I'm not happy because I got KFC and I felt guilty. And my hands were sticky. <laughs> I, I don't know what joke she did. That might have been one of them. But she did Dave Hughes' gala set. It was like three or four minutes. And I had memorized the whole thing as well. And I was in the audience watching that. And I remember feeling so indignant and angry and jealous watching her do that. Because I was like, she can't do that. She said, that's not her jokes. Those aren't her jokes. I wanted to tell someone. She can't do that. She's stealing. Um, didn't realize until years later that that was actually just me being jealous because she had the balls to get up there and do that, which is what I secretly wanted to do, but didn't realize it yet. So yeah, I just, I loved it. And then I, I decided I was going to do it because I watched that Bill Hicks documentary. 
and I uh, I must have what let's see the 9th of August 2011 oh god how long is that going to take me to get back to in my calendar can I just search the date refresh no oh nightmare uh 2011 what Ugh, I don't know I'm not going to do that Whatever the fuck day it was, I wouldn't have had a job. 2011. No, I wouldn't have had a job then. No way. <laughs> um, I was probably at uni full time, but, you know, failing or whatever. I remember being in the back room of my parents' house when I watched it. And in my memory, it was straight after I messaged One, one Mic Stand, which was uh, at the Rhino Room, the open mic night that you could do. I guess I knew that you did com- you could do comedy at the Rhino Room or that was the place where you could go. And so the 9th of August, 2011, I said, hey, I'd like to nominate myself for the So You Think You Can Host comp next Monday, 15th of August. Are there any spots left? Cheers, Taco. And that was at 7.50 p.m. And then on the 11th of August, two days later, at 4.30 in the afternoon, I've said, because uh, I had no response, so I went again. Hey, I would like to nominate myself for the heat on Monday if there are still spots. I have no previous experience doing stand-up. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> like I'm applying for a job. I have no previous experience doing stand-up. <laughs> I sent a message the other day, but was just wanting a reply to be sure that I'm actually on the night. Hey, cheers. And on the 12th of August, oh, so that night at half past midnight, fuck, (laughs) giving me a look into the glamorous life awaiting me. Uh, Hey, Aiden, there should be spaces available on Monday, but to be sure you get a spot, please do come early. Doors open at 7.30. Usually you need to bring three paying guests to get on stage, but during the comp, I've bumped it down to just two. They don't need to arrive at the same time as you, just as long as they rock up before we start. Other than that, I look forward to seeing you get up there. Just remember you get five minutes with a warning light at the four and five minute mark. Then at six minutes, the mic is cut. Cheers, mate. Bowley. The legendary Michael Bowley sending me my first message there. And uh, so I was like, all right, I need two people to go down and um, get on stage for the first time. I got my mates, uh, Dylan Corsby, who uh, I haven't spoken to in a long, long time, actually. The thing that Dylan Corsby was kind of infamous for was he was born in, uh, I shouldn't say his full name, should I? Well, fucking who cares? The reason I try and not say people's full names is because Bill Burr doesn't say people's full names on his podcast, and I really respect how respectful he is of people's privacy. But I just got to be honest with myself and say that I don't care. If you look up Dylan Corsby, like, you know, what's going to happen? Like, I, you know, I don't, I'm not like wishing any ill will on the dude. He's my mate and all that. But like, what is me putting his name out into the world gonna do? There's nothing, it doesn't matter. So, anyway, um, he was infamous because, uh, he was born in 92 and he got a big chess piece tattoo that said 92, like spelled out in with letters, but he. <laughs> 
<laughs> got it misspelled. So it said Ninty 2 in like huge gothic letters across his chest. <laughs> oh my God, what a loser. Loser, Dylan Corsby. Um, so he came and, uh, and my friend Sam Rouse, who uh, is still a dear mate of mine and I see every year. I got those guys to come down. I told them I was going to do comedy. I don't remember what I said to them. I looked for the messages with Rouse. I probably called him and asked him to come. But however I did it, I got those guys to come down. I bought a six-pack of ciders, probably because that was the cheapest thing that I could afford and I knew I could drink a lot of. I remember I drank five of them. And uh, I don't remember the set. I, um, I was around the corner before the gig. Um, my mate was working at Chibo. And, uh, so I went there to, I don't know, say hi, just to go to like, you know, say hello to someone so that I didn't feel so alone because my mates hadn't rocked up yet. And, uh, I was at the window and Michael Bowley, who runs the show came and I guess my mate knew Bowley from, I don't know, serving him coffee or whatever. So he said, hi. And he kind of introduced us. He was like, oh, Bowley, this is my mate Taco. He's doing comedy tonight. And I was like, Hey man, yeah, I sent you a message, like shook his hand. And, um, he was like, Taco, is that how you want to be introduced? Do you want to be introduced as Taco? And I just like, that was my nickname back then. Like everyone called me Taco. All my friends called me Taco. And, uh, I just was like, you know, I guess I was, I think if I remember correctly, I reckon I was expecting to go up as Aiden Jones because he, in my message, he had called me Aiden. He was like, Hey Aiden. Cause that was my name on Facebook. So... You know, I think I was, and I just, judging from my fucking, I have no previous experience with stand-up, God, that's so funny. Um, I reckon I was expecting to go up as Aiden and I felt like maybe it was going to be quite a formal thing. And then when he said, do you want to go on as Taco? I was just like, yeah, yeah, man, that'd be sick if I could go on like with my nickname that everyone calls me. So I think he just introduced me as Taco. Drank my five ciders at the front of the venue. And that it would have been because I wanted to get drunk, but also I was too poor at 20, not having a job, living at home. Yeah, I reckon I was living at home at that point. I just, there was no way that I fucking had enough money to drink in the venue. So I'm just like drinking ciders in the fucking car park beforehand. Went up, did my thing. I remember one of my jokes was um, when I see someone who has a rat's tail, it makes me feel like they're saying to me, hey, see how long I've been growing this rat's tail. That's how long I've been a dickhead. That was my first joke that I ever wrote. That worked. That joke worked for like fucking two, three, maybe even four years. I was still doing it. Even when I moved to the UK in 2014, I reckon I was still doing that joke on some level. I ended up extending it when I moved to Melbourne in 2012. I had this interaction with a guy where... I was like writing at a cafe or something maybe. And this guy just walked past me and was like, what are you looking at? Uh, and I didn't say anything to him because I was scared. But then I, I ended up on stage saying that what I said to him was, um, hey man, how long have you been growing that rat's tail for? And the idea being that in person I was being nice to him, but actually I was implying that he was a dickhead. And it was like my big callback. That was my best joke for ages. Um, so yeah, that was my first gig. I went up with cue cards. I remember that. And my second gig, I went up with cue cards as well. 
And uh, I remember Angus Hodge, who doesn't do comedy anymore, came up to me after my second gig. I'd made some joke about... Fuck, I'm remembering so many things. Okay, first of all, the first gig, it was a competition called So You Think You Can Host. And I think I've told this story on podcast before. I went up, I did my shit and however it went, I don't know, I don't remember. But after the show, so the winner of this competition would go maybe into a final next week with, there was another heat, there were two heats. And then the winner of the final would get to host the open mic the following week. That was the prize. (laughs) Fucking how about that? If you win the heat, you go through to the final. And if you win that, (laughs) then you have to introduce comedians for three hours at an open mic. (laughs) Oh, it's so good, man. When you fucking don't know anything about comedy, you're just like, God, I want to do that so bad. (laughs) Please let me MC the open mic, please. You probably got 50 bucks. I reckon you would have got 50 bucks to do that. But anyway, I didn't win. Uh, Motaz Hamdi won, who I'm not sure if he still does comedy, but I think he's still in media. I reckon I saw him hosting some sort of show recently on Instagram. I don't know. I don't follow the dude, but he was a really nice guy and very funny. And he won. And I remember I was indignant I was furious that I didn't win. I thought I should have won, even though it was my first key. That was that's a running theme for me in comedy. Is I've always I've always thought that I'm far, like I'm due way more than what I actually am. I thought I deserved to win that night, even though it was my first gig. I don't know where I got that level of entitlement from, but I just I was so sure I should have won. I don't think I told anyone that I thought that I should have won, but I definitely remember feeling like, and that's crazy that I remember that now, 10 years later, I still remember that feeling because that's how strong it was. It, it occurred to me when I didn't win, I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean I didn't win? Who the fuck is that? Motaz? It's not even a real name. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've gone on stage as Taco. Uh, um And then, yeah, my second gig. So my first one, I went up with cue cards. Second one, I went up with cue cards, but they were smaller cue cards. And I remember I made some joke about how like I was going to go up with cue cards every week. But as I did more and more gigs, the cue cards would get smaller and smaller, but I was never going to give up the cue cards. So if you graphed cue card size against like number of gigs that I'd done, there was a, a horizontal asymptote where the cue cards would approach, the size would approach zero, but never reach zero. And uh, my friend Alyssa came to that second gig and I remember her afterwards hugging me and being like, oh, I, I, when you made that joke, I was like, there's my clever, my clever little taco. And that felt really good. <laughs> Um, in place of being funny, I would, I was definitely going to take being clever. I think I liked, I just, I wanted people to know that I was clever and fuck it. When you see my poster for my new show this year, you will know that nothing has changed. I still want people to think that I'm clever and <laughs> so I did that. And then after the gig, yeah, Angus, um, Angus Hodge came up to me and was like, Hey man, lose the fucking cue cards. 
He just said it. He's such a dick. Angus is just the best dude. Doesn't do comedy anymore, but it's such a funny person. And uh, I remember him. Oh, you know what? I don't think he'll mind me saying this if he hears this. Funny person, awful comedian. <laughs> so bad. Such a bad comedian. <laughs> Angus, if you're listening to this, fucking, if you disagree, then do another gig, man. I fucking dare you. I reckon that's someone who's so much happier now that he doesn't do comedy. Um, and funnier. Just funnier in the world. I don't know. Some people just fucking, they don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. They, well, I don't know. I don't know. Some people just don't fucking figure it out or they don't want it or whatever. It's not for them. Um, but I, yeah, I remember him saying that was the first advice I ever got. Stitch the cue cards. Great advice. Connect with the audience. It's why are you reading a thing when you've got a bit of paper in front of you and an audience in front of you and you're looking at a bit of paper? It's like, who is this for? you might as well just fucking put the bit of paper up there and everyone can read the jokes off that, you know? Ditch the cue cards. Ditch the fucking notebooks. Perform to the audience. So um, I remember that. I remember who were some of the guys then. There was um, Dave something something who was a cop and he had a bit about imagine if your shit was shaped like a Toblerone. I can't remember why it would be shaped like a Toblerone, but like imagine if your shit was shaped like a Toblerone, so you'd be on the toilet going, It's very funny. And he did really well. You know what? Bitterness is a big theme of when I started comedy because I saw that for the first time and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Cop? Fuck you. (laughs) I hate cops. And whoever was emceeing, who was emceeing? Maybe it was Dave Williams, who was still a comedian. And I met a few years ago at a gig in Sydney. And he was, I told him I saw him at the like Rhino Room 10 year anniversary show or some shit. Oh God, my battery's about to die. There we go. You're right there, computer. Yeah. Um, I remember Dave Williams coming on stage after watching this other Dave guy. I reckon his name was Dave something do that Toblerone bit and he said like you know some guys you just watch them get on stage for the first time and you just go fuck you man because you've got it and uh I was sitting in the crowd going no one I've I've got it why don't you think that I've got it (laughs) just so desperate for attention and validation and uh and then my first bomb was would have been in 2012 i must have done like three maybe four gigs and then gone away in october of 2011 to bolivia on a journalism internship for four months got back in february 2012 and um i had already decided that i was going to be a comedian by by the time i went to bolivia i already in my mind was like this is a thing that i'm going to do and work on um, and I knew, I know that because I, uh, one of the things that you, that, that I guess someone said to me really early on was like, you got to record all your sets and listen back to see how you did. And in Bolivia, when I was doing this journalism internship, they gave us anyone who was doing journalism, they gave us, uh, like a little voice recorder. I guess phones weren't quite at the level where you could record 
audio on them yet. So they gave us like a little a little fucking pocket-sized thingy so that when I went and did interviews with people for stories, I could record. Oh, my God, I just burped into the mic. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's disgusting. Um, <clears throat> uh, you could record the interviews and I... Uh, I had that and then there was a talent show with all the volunteers because there were like people doing uh, like working in childcare or or like there was one of my mates was like teaching kids how to swim or whatever. People were doing all different things but there was one volunteer organisation and my thing was journalism and uh, all the volunteers got together and we had a talent competition so some people were singing or playing music or dancing or whatever and I was like, oh, I'm a comedian so let me do comedy. I remember I had a chair in front of me and there was like – 10 to 15 Bolivians and Europeans and a couple Americans, like 80% of the people there would have been speaking English as a second or third language. And I got up in front of them and I guess probably did a, a few minutes of stand up while stood behind my chair. Cause I was so scared to be in front of them, but I had my recorder and I put the recorder down and recorded the whole thing so I could listen to it. I don't know where that is. I wish I had that record. Fuck, it would be so bad. I'm sure it was horrific. I know most of the people there didn't understand me. I don't know that I got many laughs, if any. But then afterwards, um, this German dude came up to me and was like, hey man, are you recording that to like release it? Like you really think you're going to release that and like sell that? And I was like, no man, I'm recording it. I, I, he was like, he thought that was being like the most arrogant. He was, he was like, you arrogant motherfucker. And I was like, no, man, I'm not trying to release it. I'm recording it so that I can listen so that I can get better. I just, um, yeah, that made me so angry. <laughs> me and that guy, I don't know. Me and that guy had like a weird thing. He's a great dude, but we had this weird like rivalry maybe or something like that. He was probably just a weird, um, you know, wanted attention as well in the same way that I did. I reckon he's a musician now. Great dude. I stayed with his friend in Berlin a few years ago. Um, a lovely guy. But yeah, I remember him coming at me like that. Are you going to, you think you're going to release that man? I was like, no, I'm trying to get better. I know that was shit. I didn't say that. Did I say, I'm, I, I probably wouldn't have gone as far as to be like, I know that was shit. I still secretly was like, that was really good. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I still thought it was really good. <clears throat> but um yeah that says to me that I was trying to I was trying to get better and improve so I had this idea that like this was a thing that I was going to be doing for a long time and getting better at and I think I'd already kind of knew that I liked writing and I you know I always said I wanted to be a journalist but at that point I was like I don't actually want to be a journalist I think I really just want to do do stand up so I got back to Melbourne and uh my first bomb was one week I started doing the open mics like Whenever I could, like every couple of weeks, because it was every Monday and you had to bring three friends every time. But if you were there all the time, Bowley started letting you just go on without, if you didn't have any friends there, if there was room on the show. So I would just go every week and try and get on. And some weeks I'd get on and some weeks I wouldn't. And uh, one week I, I told a story about me and my friend getting uh, fined each like $300 or something for drunken disorderly behavior because we were at the crown and anchor having beers and he like pushed me or something. He did something just to fuck with me, just like joking. <clears throat> and I, um, 
I got up and I had a chair and he like ran down the street and I like chased him down the street with like a ch- the chairs are really light. They're like hollow aluminium. And I chased him down the street and I was screaming, I'll kill you, you fucking F word that you can't say. The bad word for gay people. Um, I was screaming that at him. That was the kind of person that I was when I was 20. Just screaming that. And we ran past the police station was how unaware of my surroundings I was. And the cops just brought us inside and gave us each a fine. And I told that story at open mic the next week. And it went really well. It went so well. I don't know why. Maybe I was just excited about the new story and, you know, maybe I was vulnerable in a way that telling a story for the first time on stage makes you quite vulnerable. Whatever I did, I did really well. And after the show, Bowley came up to me and was like, hey man, you know, good stuff. But I would say if you're going to maybe don't use words like that on stage because it's going to make people react badly. Um, which is great advice. Also, the reason to not use words like that on stage isn't because it's going to make people react badly. It doesn't matter whether people react badly or not. It's You just probably shouldn't use those words on stage or in your life at all because they hurt people. And if you don't have a good reason for using it, then you're just hurting people for no reason, you know? And it makes people think about times when that word's probably been used against them in violent ways. Whatever, don't use it. That's what I would say to me 10 years ago. Just don't, just don't say it. But he said that to me and I was like, in my head, I was like, I'm Bill Hicks. You don't understand. I just killed and you're telling me what to do. (laughs) The arrogance. I just, I don't know if you saw what just happened on that stage, bro, but I'm Bill Hicks. So (laughs) step aside, man, who's been nurturing me and giving me stage time for the last six months. Because I know everything and fuck you. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I didn't, thank God, I didn't say that. At least I was not that much of an idiot. I was just like, oh yeah, thanks man. And then the next week I went on, I think to prove a point, I told the same story again and I left the word in. And this time, next week, I bombed so fucking hard. And... Um, I, I afterwards, it must have been towards the end of when I was about to move to Melbourne because there was a guy from the last job that I ever had in Adelaide was there and uh, and my best mate was there as well. And I drove us into town, so I was driving us home in my parents' car and I remember getting in the car with them after the show <clears throat> and the guy from my from my job had never seen me perform, so he's in the back. He's just like, oh, you know, <laughs> I don't know about this guy. He'd known me for like a week, come to see me do stand-up and I just screamed offensive words at an audience and bombed. Um, but my best mate in the front had seen me a couple of times before and and he was just like, man, what happened? Do you any idea like why it didn't go good? Like you said it went pretty good last week and I was in the front just freaking out like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I have no idea what happened. I have no idea why that didn't go well. Oh, that terrifying feeling. But anyway, I don't know how to sum this up, really. It's been 10 years that I've been doing stand-up. Yesterday, it was 10 years. And um, what do I want to say about stand-up? I love it. I've, I'm glad that I do it. I feel... I have, I've been having conversations with people again recently. I haven't for a while. In my early mid-20s, I used to have a lot of conversations with friends about like 
you know, direction in life and what do we want to do? What do we want? Where are we going? Just those kind of, you know, what, how's your life? Where are you headed? Conversations. And I always remember feeling so like genuinely feeling lucky and grateful that I found this thing when I was so young, when I was 20, that I pretty much straight away knew that I wanted to do forever. And the more I do it, the more I like become sure of like in the knowledge that it's, it's always going to, you know, it's a, it's a puzzle that I can just continue to work at. It's like this quote that I've been saying for the last few weeks about art is when you make a thing and then you try and make a better one and you do this until you die. And that's a pretty good life. And that's stand up for me, man. I just, I've got a thing that I can do and that I can always get better at. There's always opportunities to improve and it sucks right now. <clears throat> that we're in lockdown and that all this is happening. But I know that when we come out of lockdown, stand up will still be there and stand up will always be there. It's, I can always do it. It's something that can't ever, you know, I've been fired from fucking 14 jobs in my life. No one can ever really fire me from doing stand up because as long as there's someone who will let you get on stage or as long as there's like an audience that will come and see you or just see comedy generally or fuck what I did yesterday. I didn't, this is really nice and serendipitous actually. Cause I didn't realize yesterday I forgot. I was supposed to be performing at club Voltaire last night to mark my 10 year anniversary. King of Melbourne comedy, Pete Jones gave me a spot and I told him that was that night and, and he was all excited for me and I was excited to do it, but we were in lockdown. So I just, you know, I, it didn't occur to me that that was, my 10 year anniversary. So I missed it. I realized today when I was at work, Oh my God, last yesterday, that was 10 years for me. <clears throat> but what I was doing yesterday was I had this idea kind of, well, Jacques Barrett, who's a great comic from Brisbane. When I was hanging out up there a few weeks ago, told me that he was thinking of when he was in Melbourne lockdown last year, setting up a little stand with like a table and a sign that says comedian will tell jokes for free and just sitting like in St Kilda where he lives and having people come up to him and he'll tell them jokes at the table. And I thought that was a great idea. And I'd also seen a story about someone in the Guardian, like a Guardian news story, someone in Sydney who was a photographer setting up a little white backdrop out the front of their house so that people could walk past on the street and have their portraits taken. And I thought that was really cool and a way to connect with people while still staying in your house and not being close to them and doing the thing that you love. And so um, with those two ideas, I did that yesterday. I got my desk from my room. I put it out on the street just at the end of the driveway of my house in Brunswick. I made a sign that says comedian giving away free jokes. And I tied one to a lamppost on Ligon street at the end of my street. And I tied the other one to my desk and then I took a picture and I put it on Brunswick Good Karma Network and like 10 or 12 people showed up, 10 or 12 little groups of like two people or sometimes it's one person, about that many though, in the course of two to three hours, showed up asking for jokes and I told them jokes and it felt really good and um, it just got a lot of attention online when I posted about it and, and it felt special. It felt like I was connecting with people. It felt really good to see that people were excited by this thing that I was doing because when I was setting it all up, I was scared, you know? I was just like, 
I thought I was insane. I was like, am I crazy? As I was writing the sign, I went and bought Sharpies so I could write on the cardboard that's in our shed. And I was writing the sign. I told a few people that I was going to do it. So I was accountable. And I woke up at 9am and I was like, all right, I'm doing it. I had breakfast and then I went out and I wrote the signs and I went out with some string and I tied it to the fucking thing on Ligon Street. And the whole time I was just like, is this insane? Is this a stupid idea? Should I just not do this maybe? But um, as soon as the first people rocked up, there was I was sitting there for about five minutes and a car drove by and I saw them see the sign and crack up laughing. This like older couple in the car and they reversed back up the street, wound their window down and they were like, yeah, man, we'll take a joke. And I told them a joke and they laughed and they took pictures and they were like, this is awesome, you rock. And uh, that was the vibe of like everyone who came by. It felt really good. And what better way to mark my 10-year anniversary of the first time I got on stage and did stand-up than by doing another thing that really scared me that ended up feeling great and, and made me feel good. Anyway, I think that's it, hey? Um, I don't really know how to wrap this up, but I hope these stories have been good. I hope that you guys are doing okay if you're in lockdown. If you're not, fucking go see some stand-up, man. Do some things. Dance. Make out with 10 people. Get COVID. <laughs> oh, the picture this week is going to be, I've been sitting on this one, man. Um, there's a picture of me from not my first gig, but I think it's like September 2011, one of the first times I was on stage. So I'm 20 years old and I'm holding the mic like I, I used to want to be a rapper before I started doing stand-up. So I was holding it like a rapper, I guess. So I just had my, I had the weirdest grip on the mic and I'm wearing baggy jeans that I used they were too long for my legs so I used to like safety pin them up and then the safety pins would tear the jeans and so the bottom of the jeans were just like shredded to ribbons and I had uh these white Nike Air Force Ones that I bought when I saw uh Notorious the movie about fuck it, the Notorious B.I.G the rapper because he wore those shoes so I used to wear them but I wore them everywhere and they were filthy and uh and then I had this like fluoro jacket that I used to wear everywhere and I would like get nosebleeds from doing drugs and just like wipe them on the sleeves. I was just a fucking piece of shit. I looked like a psycho and there's a picture of me wearing all those clothes on stage, 20 years old, 10 years ago. And here I am now in my room with no gigs in the diary. But I love stand-up, man. I love it. I love doing it. I love the people who do it. Um, I love the people who come and watch it. And I just, I fucking love it. And I'm, I remember when I moved to Melbourne thinking, um, I moved to Melbourne and, you know, like a, a year after I started in July, 2012. And I remember thinking like, if I can just do this for 10 years, I had that thought, fuck. I remember thinking if I can just do this for 10 years, then we'll see yeah, where we're at. I'll do it for 10 years and then we'll see. And um, and I've done it for 10 years, you know. That was like that was like it's so far away when I was 20. That was like I couldn't even imagine like having done it for that long and what it would be like. And um, and now I have and I'm going to I know that I'm going to fuck I mean at least another 10 years. I'll be doing it forever. You know, it's my thing. I don't know how to end this. But I'm sad right now, 
but more than that, I'm happy that I've got a thing. That's because like, you know, in my early 20s, having those conversations with people, I saw friends of mine who didn't have a thing and I felt like I was so lucky that I've got my thing. So, I don't know, man. Comedy rocks. There's been Aiden Jones sitting under a tree. Peace.